Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is March 19th, 2018, and this is episode 229. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. On today's show, this is a good one, Scotty. It's our official 2018 prediction episode. Uh, always filled of ridiculous sentiments. And speaking of ridiculous aspects, we'll also get into the second segment and come up with some ridiculous rules for this upcoming 2018 baseball season. And we'll do that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, this week uh, we're working through something I'm very excited about. Imbibing in something that is um, quite original and quite amazing. These are a few of my favorite things, like raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Um, So we are drinking raindrops on roses and whiskers and kittens. That's it. That's (laughs) it. That's the drink of the week. Um, I'm drinking, I'm not even sure how to say this, drum shambo. Uh, gunpowder Irish gin. It's a gin and tonic. Uh, here, look, here's the thing. I believe we signed Drum Shambo for three years and $36 million. Yeah, but it'll never see the light of day. <laughs> um, so you're saying this gin really can't do very well in the outfield. That's right. It'll get booed down the, Absolutely. Uh, down the orange carpet. This was it's funny because it's also from the Orient. <laughs> What from some some South Korea? <laughs> this was gifted to me. It is uh, Irish gin with uh, <laughs> with Oriental botanicals, as Scott just referenced. <laughs> but the uh, the little uh, paper that came with it said, "Start with a wedge of grapefruit," and they had my heart since then. Scott, I think it's pretty good. Your thoughts? Uh, I think it's amazing, and I think topping it off with a little bit of grapefruit uh, really makes it. So, Jake, well done. This may be one of your better cocktails that you've ever served me. Does this make up for drinking shandy? Uh, yes, it does, actually. All right. If you're interested to see what we're drinking this week um, and it's beer, go ahead and check us out on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. And I'm at MAGN86006. And with that, it's time for a checkup. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Yes, it's only going to take a little. Time for your time for your All right, so let's get into the uh, nitty gritty of the medical wing this week. Uh, Danny Valencia was scratched from today's game um, due to a minor calf issue. Here's the thing about spring training: you never know what's a real deal, what's a big deal, and what's not. This could literally be like he really didn't feel like putting on the gray pants and going away because he was a, a veteran, or it could be that he's crippled anywhere in between anywhere in between um other things chris davis returned on saturday and uh the orioles think they have avoided a major issue with chris davis uh jake are you buying that chris davis is back and uh is fully healthy sure sure yeah all right i i think if it was worth if it was worse they wouldn't be risking it the orioles have never been known to risk people's health before no, but at the same time, it, it you know, not having him uh, on the roster to start the season does certainly provide some opportunities. To, but let's get into that in a minute. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, Mark Trumbo, obviously out with the quad injury, out for several weeks to come. Um, we'll, we'll see what time he actually returns. I'm thinking, what, 
late April at best? No, no. I, I think he's going to start on the 10-day uh, DL. He'll probably be fine. But here's the thing. Okay. I, I know the solution for that. All right. Pie. Pie. Lots pie of it. Pie works for the quad. Well, in, in this case, his quad's like a cobbler. It's all crumbled. Uh, Gabriel Noah still out with shin splints going to be expected to start on the 10 day DL and again once again preserving his uh, potential roster spot how bad do your shin splints have to be for you to be in a walking boot well he's out of a walking boot now but he was in a walking boot for a little bit for shin splints Jake when I've seen you run you've been in a walking boot the next day so first of all you've never seen me run (laughs) maybe saunter maybe Maybe saunter saunter quickly but never run (laughs) Uh, anybody else that we're missing in terms of injuries or uh, ailments? No, the thing. I mean, Hayes is is you know somewhat back from that shoulder. I'm not really sure what to make of that. Um, I, I think everybody else has been dinged up. Um, you know, is is on the mend. The only real risks for the uh, for the opening day DLs, you know, Trumbo obviously Britain's still on there. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, we'll uh, we'll play the roster shell game. All right. So that's it going into spring training, again, coming out of spring training. That's not terrible, is the best way to describe it. Let's keep it to that and not have any uh, J.J. Hardy uh, injuries right before going into opening day. Uh, with that, let's go 280 characters or less, or less this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Well, first of all, this is something that transpired. Uh, I think that they accomplished this. This is a tweet from UMBC Athletics, who tweet, of course, at UMBC Athletics. Well, it was fun, y'all. K-State may have won 50-43, to 43, but we hope to have won your hearts. Oh, yes, UMBC Athletics Twitter person, you have won our hearts. Scott, how fun was it watching local school UMBC shock the world, overcome a 16-versus-1 seed game, and then play a Big 12 team deep into the round of 32? I just feel bad for Tyler Wilson. <laughs> I thought it was great. It was a very exciting thing, and, you know, uh, being both a fan of Maryland basketball and a graduate of American University, I had nothing else to root for uh, in this particular tournament. I think UMBC, uh, you know, obviously it was it was great, it was historic, but also their uh, their Twitter representative here he he won. That's the, as much the of tournament. a story as anything. Is just the uh, the social media aspect uh, has been amazing from UMBC athletics. I also thought it was great that their their site crashed while as people were trying to figure out who the heck Man. UMBC were. Who the heck are these guys? Um, this next tweet is uh, goes in the category of this story was stupid from the beginning. Uh, this comes from at Baltimore Sun Sports. Um, Orioles show Walter on Judge recruiting Machado. I'm just glad they didn't catch Manny recruiting Judge. God Almighty, I hate this story with a passion. I mean, do you really care about Judge saying, "Hey, you'd look good in pinstripes"? No, no. it's 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 a nonsensical story, and it's not that big of a deal. It's no. it's just. It's something for beat writers to write about and to make a story about um, with nothing else going on. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, if we're in the season and we had things to write about, this wouldn't be anywhere near the top. But alas, here we are. I guarantee you, though, if Manny does sign with the Yankees uh, at the end of the season, I guarantee this will be the first thing people say. He was gone even before the season started. The Yankees had a deal with him on the table already. This is ridiculous, and this is why Peter Angelos is not a good owner. What if he goes somewhere else where they wear pinstripes? Uh, obviously, that just means that Aaron Judge is moving to a different team, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right. I cannot believe that the Orioles are leaving themselves in such a position. This is in reference to a tweet from Stan Charles at Stan the Fan. Tillman with a much easier second inning. One, two, three on 10 pitches. 31 is total through two innings pitch. This is, of course, in relation to today's game. Funny. O's chances of being decent and competitive team seem to rest on number 30's shoulder. 
What? What? Well, let me let's let's talk about this. Let's digest this. I I I think there is a ray of truth here. Okay. Let let's dive into mythology. Okay. Let's let's dive into the fantasy novel here. Okay. Just let me lay it on you. Okay. Chris Tillman. You enter into a cave. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Tillman is a pitcher who closely resembles his 2013 form. Okay. Okay. Put that up against uh, a rotation that's already got Gosman who doesn't suck, and Bundy, who doesn't suck, and Kashner, who decides not to suck. If Chris Tillman can be good and all those other things happen, I think that the Orioles can certainly be competitive. But I think it's ridiculous that the Orioles have put themselves in the position in which all those things in the fantasy book have to happen, including me approaching a cave. Hey, Jake, this next tweet I think is right up your alley. Why don't you go ahead and take it? All right, this is something very interesting. This is from the Baltimore Orioles, who, of course, tweet at Orioles. They in- do? Every once in a while. Okay. Introducing our 2018 on-field caps and jerseys for Major League Baseball's league-wide initiatives, which will be auctioned for charity throughout the year. This is a picture of the Orioles' uh, Jackie Robinson Day uh, um, jerseys, the hats and jerseys for Mother's Day, Father's Day, Memorial Day, and Independence Day. And Scott, spoiler alert, they're hideous and ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. You're absolutely right. They are ridiculous and hideous. And... Side topic, secondary tweet on this given topic. Um, historical correctness apparently doesn't matter for this. Uh, this next tweet comes from Paul Lucas at UniWatch. Jake, uh, I believe you lost your Twitter handle there because uh, UniWatch yeah. is exactly where you want to be. Yeah. Tweet goes as follows. MLB's new Independence Day caps have we the people under brim. Nice idea, but Independence Day celebrates the ratification of the Declaration of Independence, while we the people is from the preamble to the Constitution ratified 12 years after the Declaration. Bad civics. Terrible. <laughs> I knew you would appreciate that. It That's combines your two loves of political science and uh, and terrible MLB uniforms. Just awful. All right. Uh, here we go. Let's, let's keep on with the social sciences. Scott, I ask you this question. How much will it cost in real dollars? What is the actual figure that it would cost to treat minor league baseball players like they're human beings? Um about three hundred dollars a week <laughs> this is a tweet from <laughs> from kate morrison who tweets at unlikely fanatic minor leaguers are not interns or apprentices and they deserve a living wage i wrote about this two years ago and it still stands and of course it's a link to an article she wrote in baseball perspectives look i don't know what the right amount of money to pay minor league baseball players i don't even know what the right amount of, of money is to pay a person to play a, a game what i do know is that minor league baseball players cannot make a living wage. Minor league baseball players, even into single A and double A, need to have host families hold them for the summer because they can't afford rent in such fabulous places as Aberdeen, Maryland, or, you know, Corpus Christi, Texas, or whatever other places around the league that are that can support minor league baseball. It's ridiculous that we're at this point. And you know, you know the problem though is that we if we do actually pay these people like they're human beings and have dignity, that it'll just quadruple the price that it costs to go see baseball at the minor and major league level. I, I don't know what the answer is, Scott, but certainly we as a society are smarter than this. Listen, you have to understand that uh, the MLB owners obviously are cash strapped at this time. 
And it, you know, in all honesty, you know, these guys are playing a, a, a children's game. They shouldn't even be paid the money that they do. I mean, being paid below minimum wage is just something that um, comes with par for the course, basically, for anybody just trying to make a living out there. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous because I, I, you know, I hear people say, "Oh, well, they're just playing a game, so they shouldn't be paid." Of course, they should be paid. Absolutely, they put money in other people's pockets. Correct. People come to see it; they're entertainers, and whether or not you think it's a valid a valid form of entertainment or not, or or worthy or whatever, they are laboring. Right. <laughs> So there you hear it, everybody. Jake English indicates that strippers deserve to make a living because they're putting it out there. It's true. I am a communist and a fan of strippers. Thank you for outing me, Scott Magnus. No problem. Well, if we're going to make grand acquisitions about strippers and minor league baseball players... That was quite a segue. I was wondering how you were going to wriggle out of that one. You just went straight for it. Well, again, if we're going to be talking about strippers, we might as well wriggle at the same time. So let's go ahead and make some predictions for this upcoming 2018 season for the Baltimore Orioles. Jake, we're so close. But until the real games start on March 29th, we're all just really guessing here. Does the result of a spring training at bat, inning game, or series of any game really matter anyway at this point? Are these indication of future in-season performance, or are they just noise? Spoiler alert, if you've listened to Bird's Eye View in the past, uh, we don't know. And uh, none of us do, not even the professionals. And in fact, the correlation of the spring training stats to actual real-life stats um, really doesn't mean too much of anything unless you look at it on the large population size. We call it the Jake Fox corollary. Absolutely. Um, but we do the best we can to separate the noise from the meaningful nuggets of information. That having said, Bird's Eye View has a proud tradition of taking the information we gather in spring training and making a series of misguided and poorly informed projections, which makes us your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. And you might even call it a representation of it. Um, but back in 2012, we kicked it off with Jake boldly predicting a 100-loss season for the Baltimore Orioles. And that led to a renaissance of Orioles relevance. So without further ado, here are our bold Orioles predictions for the 2018 season. So Jake, we're going to open this up. We're going to start talking about roster construction because everybody has an opinion about how this roster is going to be constructed. So Jake, I think we have to start with the most obvious place in the world for the Baltimore Orioles. We've got to start with the starting rotation. So Jake... Tell me who you have in your starting rotation for the Baltimore Orioles in 2018. All right. There's a there there is a this is going to get fascinating. Okay. My first starter. Yes. Is the pitching machine. Okay. No. Uh look, like everybody else, I've got Gosman, Bundy, Kashner, and Tillman in my starting rotation. I think the real question is who's going to be number 5? Sure. All right. So, running down the orange carpet on March 29th to start the season. My fifth starter is nobody. I don't think that the Orioles will have a proclaimed fifth starter on March 29th. I think they will carry eight men in the bullpen uh, and not define a fifth starter until they're absolutely pushed into it. And I think that uh, Buck may even give a couple of guys an audition in season. I completely agree with this. Um, and I'm glad, you know, we didn't look at notes, but I have as my fifth starter right now, Mike Wright with a heavy Heavy bolted asterisks right next to it, because I do believe Mike Wright 
is going to be auditioning with several individuals that are currently within the bullpen um, for that fifth starter and will probably be playing a game of Russian roulette to see who falls out of the rotation eventually. All right, so we agree on that. Um, let's talk relievers. I think clearly there are some guys that are just slam dunks, no question. I mean, who are the guys that, that you think just are absolutely in the bullpen? We don't even have to worry about it. Uh, Brad Brock. Sure. Michael Givens. Yep. Darren O'Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miguel Castro. Okay. Richard Blyer. Yep. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. So that's that's five guys right there, That's right? five guys. Okay. So really the question comes down to who are going to be the two slash three people that are going to make it. I agree with you that Mike Wright will, will be on the team to start the season. Right. They don't want to lose him. God knows why. They don't want to lose him because they'd have to, to – um, Expose them to waivers. So Mike uh, Wright admit they were wrong, basically. <laughs> yeah. So Mike Wright will Junior <laughs> will start the season uh on the team. Who are your next two guys that make the team in the bullpen? Uh so I have Nestor Cortez, uh lefty. Again, Donnie Hart was option to the minors. Um so I think he is the uh Lugie coming out of the bullpen. And I have Pedro Arojo, um, who again is one of the uh, row five picks, and I believe he's going to get um, that roster spot. I think the Orioles are going to carry uh, two full row five picks into the starting season, and I think they'll have a partial in, uh, well, we'll get to the partial at a later point. Scotty, you're scaring me. That's exactly who I have. That's crazy. Yeah, I have Pedro Rojo. He, I think he's the guy that's impressed the most yes. out of the rule five trio of pitchers. You know, you, you look at him and you say, you know, single A player, um, you know, selected by the Orioles, and you're like, man, that's a heck of a jump. And more than likely, he is going to struggle. Mm-hmm. But you look at the talent and the stuff that he has out there, um, pitching at, you know, a 94-mile-per-hour fastball and just a good kind of change of pace. I, I definitely think he's an interesting um, bullpen arm. I think he may be the Miguel Castro of the 2018 Baltimore Orioles. And I'm not saying that's a make-or-break thing. I just think that he may be the breakout um, person that we were not expecting coming into the season. And there always is that case for the Baltimore Orioles. I think he might be that individual. And here's the thing about about these guys, and, and I agree. I also think that they're intrigued by Nestor Cortez. He could be good. He could be nothing. But of all the things that I think— He's got to be better than Donnie Hart, though, right? Like Donnie Hart, coming into the 2017 season, you thought, all right, at least we've got sol- some solidity there from a loogie. And Donnie Hart was absolutely horrible during the 2017 season. Cortez has to be able to be better than Donnie Hart, right? Does he? I think he has to be. Does he? I think he has to be. But he has I, to be brother by Brian Mattis, right? Yes. Okay. I do think, though, that for all the things that Dan Duquette is not good at, this is something that he and the organization under him in the time that he's been here has been good at, right? Finding the Chaz Rose. At some point, if these guys are on the roster, and we're talking about the Rule 5 guys, they're going to be valuable for some period. And the point is, are they going to be good enough to not be overexposed? And can Buck Showalter move around the roster enough where he doesn't have to depend on these guys too much. If the answer to both those questions is yes, then they can be valuable pieces. And, you know, a guy whose ceiling is a 2017 Miguel Castro is a very valuable guy and a steal from the Rule 5 pick. The real question is, if these guys are valuable to the organization, will it matter in 2018 and forward because the team is not competing? I'm going to answer that for you. No. Okay. Who do you have for the infielders? We may we may differ on this one. All right, so I've got Chris Davis, okay. Jonathan Scope, yep. Manny Machado, sure. uh, Tim Beckham, yep. uh, Danny Valencia, and I've got Pedro Alvarez with uh, Mark Trumbo on the DL. Okay, I thought I was going to get you here because Danny Valencia is my Mark Trumbo asterisk. Here's where I, we definitely differ. 
I think your utility infielder for 2018 is Ryan Flaherty. You know, I understand where you're coming from with this, but it's been so quiet on the Ryan Flaherty front that he, he I'm just going to consider him to be dead at this point until he is resurrected from the ashes. You know, Easter is coming up. And when that boulder is rolled past and Ryan Flaherty comes out and returns as our savior for Berland. I, I thought you were going with Phoenix when you said from the ashes, yeah, but you not. went full on Easter. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it has to be Ryan Flaherty for no other purpose that the Orioles, than the fact that the Orioles have done nothing to get a utility infielder that can replace him. I, Who's on the roster that comes anywhere near the skill set? Ruben Tejada is there, and they clearly, <laughs> they clearly have no faith in him. Uh, yeah. Going back to Danny Valencia, though, I think that the the uh, DL move gives Danny Valencia the opportunity to stay on the roster for at least 10 days and push out his uh, his decision point of whether or not he wants to stick with the Orioles or hope to catch on with another team. I think the Pedro Alvarez is the only reason why he's going to be on the roster. I don't think Pedro Alvarez would be on this roster without the Trembo DL. I think Danny Valencia makes the roster full out because why not? And... I think the Orioles are going to say, we'll be able to get by with Danny Valencia um, if someone gets injured by moving around Scope, Machado, and Beckham as a three-headed dragon between shortstop, second base, and and shortstop. Okay. Scotty, who are your outfielders running down the orange carpet on March 29th? Sure. So I have Adam Jones. Really? I've got Trey Mancini. I've got Colby Rasmus, Anthony Santander, and Craig Gentry. Get out of here. Seriously, Scott and I have put our, our picks in secret, uh, in envelopes that neither can uh, can see, and I matched you absolutely. I, I agree with you that Anthony Santander uh, will stick with the club, and I, I think that he can be um, he can be uh, a decent uh, asset for the Orioles. Obviously, I think his bat will play here. The question is, you know, he's tried to lose a few pounds to become more athletic in the outfield to be able to play the outfield. I don't know that it'll ever be great shakes out there, but the question is. Can he ever be good enough to the point where he won't hurt you? And I, I don't think you need to give consideration to him being an outfielder. I mean, you've got Colby Rasmus and you've got Craig Gentry. If they're going to be on your roster, that's your platoon right there in right field. Both of them are not great outfielders, but they're better than Anthony Santander. So I'm okay with a Rasmus Gentry platoon situation um, and then basically D, uh, DHing Santander for the time being. Sure. But my question is can Santander ever be good enough to? be pinch hit for in like a high leverage fifth or sixth inning situation in which Buck says, okay, I might be able to get the lead, but I'm also going to need to throw that guy out in right field for three innings. Yes. Um, I, I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, I, I'd be curious to see if he would go with Erasmus or Gentry in that case situation. But I, I do think that Santander could come out there and play a serviceable seventh, eighth or ninth. I just don't think he's the, go-to defensive replacement that buck has used in the past clearly not i think that that would probably be gentry who I agree. You know, again no all-star weapon there, but <laughs> um we didn't mention austin hayes yes why do you have him in the minors i just have him in terms of um the shoulder injury basically took away his at bats and again the service time just is not necessary too mm-hmm. he had to have a gangbuster base basically a spring training to have him come out and start with the team uh, the Orioles are going to put him down in the minors probably for a month, month and a half. <laughs> you make it sound like he's going to be in a farm upstate. They're going to put him down, Scott. Well, to a certain regard, Norfolk is a farm. But um, they'll bring him up probably, I'm, I'm guessing, second week of May. And um, 
Probably right when Anthony Santander's going down is the best way to put it. Fair enough. It's um, amazing how those things work. So we, we mentioned the uh, the DL. It's sure. clear that uh, we're going to have Zach Britton, Mark Trumbo, uh, Gabrielle Anoa on the DL. Um, but my question really isn't about those guys because roster decisions will have to be made once those guys come back. My question is about the bubble. Who is the next guy up or the next few guys up when – and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be too dark, but when the pitching fails, when we have to send somebody down, who are going to be, you know, the reinforcements, so to speak? Uh, Brady Anderson? <laughs> I, t- I don't think that's how it's going to work. I mean, are, are we talking about outfield, basically? Because I think if it's outfield, I think it's Cedric Mullins. Sure. Um, if we're talking infield... Who the heck knows is the best way to describe it. Right. I think so, the reason that you and I have so many of the of the same answers is because there is, there no, is depth. no depth. Right. Yeah. But what about pitching? I mean, who who are the guys that you think will come right up? For me, I think it's a combination of whenever he gets better, Gabriel Inoa and um and as well as uh, uh Asher that will come up and be the the next try. You know, Asher's an interesting one. I also think Tanner Scott might get a little bit of a, a look at just to see how good actually he is from a major league baseball standpoint. Um, certainly not advocating for him to come up right away, but if there is an injury to, let's call it like a Richard Blyer, I mm-hmm. could see Tanner Scott getting a call just to see how he, how he does. Um, I, I, th- I think your choices are the very conservative ones. I just think I'm wondering if the Orioles are going to get aggressive and say, Let's see what we have and basically start rebuilding from now. Well, that that I'm glad that you said that because my question is, do you think it's more likely we see Tanner Scott if we're desperately trying to cling on to hopes of competing? Or do you think it's more likely we see Tanner Scott if the, everything's blown and we're, now we're just seeing what the kids have got? Uh, everything is blown is mm-hmm. the best way to describe it. So, um, And I think that's kind of going into the season. It's the let's get a shot and hope the best. It has the highest reward value where in a Noah or Asher are kind of just like, eh. It's okay. Now, so I had a conversation with the guys over at BSR, and by the way, the new revamped BSR is coming the week of opening day. Okay. Come Monday, uh, the 26th of March, you should start seeing daily content from the folks over there at BSR. You may even see somebody that you recognize now and again. Um, but I was talking to some of the guys over at BSR, and we were talking about Hunter Harvey. Okay. And the, the conversation was this. You know, do you think he's going to come up? Do you think he's not going to come up? And and here's where the the debate fell. Um, my question was, if you think he's one of the best pitchers in the organization, are you going to pitch him or not in this the last year that they've got? Um, and and uh, you know, the counter argument that somebody else made was, well, if you think he's one of the best pitchers in the organization, why isn't he on the team on day one? And my response is, well, that's just not the way it's done, and yada yada. And and they said, well, you know, he's on a innings limit, so if you're going to have him, you might as well have him early. Scott, mm. if these guys if these guys falter and the Orioles are trying to stay in contention, the Hunter Harvey question: Does he come up? Um, you could bring him up, but I'd also raise the question of what's the point in bringing him up in. June or July, why don't you say we're going to bring him up in August and then shut him down mid-September. And again, you're not going to get a lot of innings out of him. I mean, if he pitches, let's say, 80 innings this year, awesome. That is a huge comeback for him. And then next year he can come out and maybe throw 120 to 150 innings. But you're not going to get more than 80 to 100 innings for him. And 
that, that includes minor league time too. That just doesn't include the majors. So I just don't see any reason why you want to start service time for Hunter Harvey for no gosh darn reason. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think we see him unless it's garbage time. Yeah. Um, okay. Do we cover catchers? Uh, I don't recall. Uh, my, mine are, are Caleb Joseph and, and Chan Sisko. I have the same ones, Caleb Joseph and Chan Sisko. I mean, we saw Austin Wins get uh, optioned to Norfolk, which mm-hmm. is an interesting scenario of what happens to Sisko versus Suzak. Uh, I mean, does Suzak go to Norfolk with Win, or does Sisko go to Norfolk with Win as well? It doesn't really make sense to have Sisko and Win both in Norfolk. So I would think that Sisko's of Castors go to Norfolk. And Susak is just going to be the backup catcher to win at Norfolk. I agree. Um, I think I think Susak is an org soldier at this point and and an insurance policy. I completely agree with you. Because the other thing is that as little sense as it makes to have both Cisco and Wins at the minor league level, it makes zero sense to have Caleb Joseph and Susak on the same team. No, I completely agree. I, I think it just comes back to like you put it, it's an insurance policy. So if Cisco or Joseph goes down, you can call Susak up and say you're going to be our backup catcher for the next ten days. Um, but it doesn't really make sense to do it anyway. You, you know, I also think it is a situation, if you look at Chan Cisco, I think he also opens up that option of, in certain situations, you if you want to get desperate, you could say, hey, we want to use him as a pinch hitter here and, mm-hmm. and see what happens. I know Buck doesn't really like going to his backup catcher as a pinch hitter because it takes up that option away, just in case, you know, you know the starting catcher would get hurt. But I do think Chan Cisco would be a potential benefit over certain hitters in the lineup. I don't think you're looking at this the right way. Okay. The availability of Chance Cisco allows Buck Showalter to go with his favorite infield, uh, you know, setup. Caleb Joseph at third base? That has Caleb Joseph at third base. Well, that alignment is Buck Showalter's favorite. Sometimes you have to take a chance. Sometimes you do. All right. Can we talk <laughs> about something else? We So we've ex- extinguished the roster, uh, exhausted the roster. So we rather. had no disagreements in terms of the roster. Zero. Well, no, uh, I have Ryan Flaherty. Okay, you have Ryan Flaherty who does not exist. Can I tell you another player that I would really wish the Orioles would go out and get would be, I really wish the Orioles would go out and get Adam Lind to replace Pedro Alvarez. If you're going to go and get a first baseman DH, I'd rather go get Adam Lynn than Pedro Alvarez. Don't you say that Adam Lynn is perfect for this team every year? I actually do. <laughs> I actually do. But again, I think Adam Lynn would be a much better option than Pedro Alvarez. That's, All right. that's just me. Let's move on to a more global uh, arrangement here. Sure. Let's do it. Scott Magnus, how many games do the Orioles win and lose this season? Oh, I mean, let's uh, You're jumping right to the end. Oh, okay. Um, can we maybe talk about another thing that I love, which is lineup construction? I mean, we can talk about lineup construction, and you're allowed to love it. Yes. I could care. I couldn't care less. Well, let me ask you this question. Who do you think is leading off for the Baltimore Orioles this year? Probably Tim Beckham. Okay. Here's here's the thought. I mean, I, I've been railing against this during spring training. How likely is it do you think Colby Rasmus is batting leadoff for the Baltimore Orioles to begin this season? Eh, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. And how likely do you think it would be for Danny Valencia to be batting leadoff for the Baltimore Orioles against left-handed pitching? Not happening. <laughs> it's just not happening. <laughs> All right. So here's my rough aspect in terms of what I could put together for lineup construction this year. And tell me where I'm wrong. So against left-handed pitchers, Danny Valencia. You're wrong. Jonathan Scope, Trey Mancini, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, Chris Davis, Tim Beckham, Craig Gentry, Caleb Joseph. So you're basically going with the, you know, put your best bats right up front and you're pointing out the lefty versus righty splits? Yeah. 
Okay. And then for righties, I've got Colby Rasmus, because <laughs> Buck loves Colby Rasmus for some reason. Trey Mancini, Jonathan Scope, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, Chris Davis, Tim Beckham, Anthony Santander, Chancisco. Look, Neckbeard has to bat ninth just on principle. Just on principle? Just on principle. Okay. Uh, you know, most of the lineup is swing or miss, uh, you know, big three, uh, you know, ultimate three uh, results. I don't even think it matters. Yeah. You know, with with a team that gets on base so little, it really just doesn't matter. I mean, I guess, you know, a guy like Beckham is the closest that you can get to a prototypical leadoff hitter. And, you know, to the point earlier, I'm not even sure you need a prototypical leadoff hitter. You just need a good hitter at the top. You know, Adam Jones has been the leadoff hitter for this team before, and the, though he does not walk, that's not the worst idea in the world either. Sure. Okay. I I, I just don't. I don't get excited about lineup construction the way I used to. I don't. Maybe it's. I guess it's a fault in me. Or it's just the aspect of there really is no good options here to be that prototypical leadoff guy. So just batch your best players to begin with and hope and pray for the best. O'Brien Roberts is not walking through that door. If he Well, he is, actually. He's going to just be up in the booth basically doing radio. Yeah. 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 Are, we, are we doing wins now or are we doing uh, predictions? Well, I was told that uh, that wins were last. Can we, can we talk about where we think? Uh, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's uh, talk about who do you think your most va- valuable Oriole will be at the end of the season. So I'm going to go with Adam Jones. Okay. I like that. I'm going to go with Adam Jones. I think that uh, the Orioles beat writers oftentimes do not pick the best player on the team, uh, but they pick the sentimental favorite is the best way to describe it. So I think Sentiment. Yes. I'm glad that you said sentiment because yes. here is my most valuable Oriole. I went in the other direction. Okay. I, I asked myself, who would it hurt the most? To have be really, really, really good and then walk out the door? And the answer is obvious. Manny Machado. My most valuable Oriole is that I expect a ridiculously awesome season from Machado. An undeniable MVO performance that will make it that much worse to see him in pinstripes. I I feel where you're coming from here. I feel where you're coming from here. Which kind of leads us into the predictions aspect, in my opinion. So do you want to do your three predictions, bold predictions, basically? Yeah, let's do this. And let's go through that. All right, my first prediction. Okay. One of the Rule 5 guys will work himself into an everyday role, proving that the Orioles were right to draft him. So is this like meaning a mass in camera? No, of course. Here's the thing. There's a dot, dot, dot there, Scott. Dot, dot, dot. Of course, this will take place on another team, once the Orioles have exposed him to waivers. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Uh, what we am call I, that the Davies corollary. Gotcha. Uh, one of my predictions is uh, Dan Duquette will be relieved of all duties prior to the All-Star break. Duties here in Baltimore or in Toronto? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Our predictions are dark, Scott. They're getting dark. We, we There are going to be no duties on Dan Duquette in, in Canada due, due to tariffs, so... <laughs> That's 25% more for a Dan Duquette. <laughs> I think it's 0% for Dan Duquette. <laughs> All right. My, sec- my second one is not so dark, Scott. Okay. Uh, every year when I talk about Adam Jones, I say, look, expect it. This is the year the decline will start. He's on the wrong side of 30. His skill set, yeah, 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 yeah. Scott, I think that the downward slide that I keep predicting for Adam Jones will be forestalled yet again. Jones will defeat Father Time and will become a productive 150-plus game player. will have an outstanding season for the Orioles. You know, maybe maybe he doesn't hit 
you know, 35 home runs. Maybe he doesn't have a 270 batting average or whatever, but I think he is going to be the heart and soul of this team again, even if he's outshone statistically by the likes of Scope and Manny. I think he'll be a really great additional piece for the Orioles. I like it. Uh, Jake, as we know, um, the Orioles are a boom or bust kind of team. And frankly, we love it when they hit the dong is the best way to describe it. And I remember in the past, uh, the Orioles had uh, a single month where they hit the most amount of home runs um, ever yeah, for Major League Baseball. And I think the Orioles are going to once again do that. So my prediction is the Orioles once again are going to manage to have the most home runs in a single month. But they're also going to give up the most home runs in a single month as well at the same time. Oh, how do they not already have that record? It's a good question. Good question. All right. Here's my final prediction. Um, at least one familiar face will rejoin this team in the July and August trade deadlines. Mm-hmm. We've already got Danny Valencia back. All right. Uh, did Chris Dickerson come back on a minor league deal? Did, did I hear that? I, I don't. I think he might have like gone and done minor league coaching. Okay. Now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. So who else? I mean, obviously Steve Pierce could be back. Steve Pierce could at be any back. moment. Yeah. But I think, it, particularly if Jeremy you, Guthrie might unretire. <laughs> Uh, he's almost good enough to pitch in the Orioles. Yes. Um, I think... Bruce Chen. If... Uh, ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Brian Mattis. Yeah. Rodrigo Lopez. <laughs> uh, I think if... The, A lot of opening day starts there. If the Orioles aren't going to be competitive, they're at least going to try to put butts in the seats by bringing back some old favorites. That is the Orioles way. So, Jake, you mentioned about Manny Machado being, um, you know, the MVO. And, you know, I'm going to hold to that same opinion. I think Manny Machado is going to have a breakout season this year going into free agency. I think breakout. He's, he's already done broken out. He's broken out to a certain regard, but I think that he is going to cement himself as one of the top three players in Major League Baseball and go, go into this offseason with a monster opportunity to score some big money. So, Jake, my prediction is as follows. Manny Machado wins the MVP while finishing the season with the New York Yankees. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Um, hmm. All right. Well, you heard it here, folks. We are obviously expecting great things. But, Scotty, you may remember. Yes. Bird's eye view. Early on, we predicted things in 2012. And my prediction was that the Orioles would lose 100 games. Yeah, that was really wrong. Yeah, it was really wrong. It just proves how wrong we were. Scott, I'm going to make a different, well, I'm going to make a similar prediction. They're going to win 100 games. Win-loss record. uh, The Orioles are going to lose. Okay. 100 games. Wow. So they're going to go 62 and 100 for you this week? No. This year? No. Okay. It's worse than that, Scott. All right. It's worse. Okay. The Orioles are going to go 61 and 100. And a rainout is not going to be made up because they're going to be so far out of it. There's no that point that for that. There'll be no point in playing that game. It'll just be an insurance liability. All right. I had the Orioles going 67 and 95 um, this season. So not quite 100 losses, but pretty, pretty bad. Pretty hey, bad. We're, we're six wins apart. All right. Yeah. Six wins apart. That's not a great, not a great deal. Not a great deal. Now, again, I think that the, the ceiling for this team is a lot higher than that. Right. If all the stars align, if all the things go well, if if Chris Tillman is Chris Tillman of 2013 and 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 sure, they might be at 84 wins. Basically, this team could win. Let's call it 86 and be in the conversation for a second wild card. I think that ceiling is there. I just find it really unlikely. Um, And I think that the Orioles have done their best 
to put together a team that they could afford and one that they are comfortable with not necessarily the winning. Yeah. So since we're predicting such uh, glorious results for mm-hmm. the Baltimore Orioles, mm-hmm. uh, how did they fall into the AL East? Oh, they fall. They fall, my friend. Uh, this will be the first back-to-back seller finishes for the Baltimore Orioles uh, since, you know, I guess 2011. Yeah, so I've got my ALS breakdown being Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, Rays, Orioles. So we are back in um, the dark ages of the ALS once again. Yeah, yeah. The only thing that I can hope is if things can't go well for us, it would be really cool to see the Rays, who have just been stripped to nothing, have some really weird, fluky thing where they're competitive. You know, they won't. They won't. Uh, you know, push for the the AL East crown or anything, but it'd be really cool to see them do well. Push despite, for a wild card, yeah, despite not being very good. You don't want to see the Blue Jays do that. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. Uh, you know, twenty sixteen still burns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No thanks. No thanks. So, th- hey, this has been you know real real fun uh, as far as predictions are concerned. We are clearly not good at this so bird's eye view listeners please do us a favor tweet us out hashtag o's predictions and you know you've got 280 characters now so you got a lot of more to work with let us know what your bold predictions are for the baltimore Orioles. tweet us at bird's eye view bl hashtag o's predictions jake let's um let's get a little less serious and get a little ridiculous in the process Scotty, Major League Baseball just announced that they will try some new rules in the minors this season to ensure the games aren't too long or fun or too much resembling baseball. And I'm not talking about the pitch clock or any other measure that aims to reduce a three-hour game to two hours and 45 minutes. Instead, I'm referring to the rule that minor league baseball will play with this year in extra innings. To start each extra inning, a runner will be placed on second base. Yes, that is right, Scott. It is it is a backyard game now. But can we just talk about this for the logistics for just a second? What does that do to records? Is that an earned run on second base? I mean, if he scores, to whom is it charged? And I don't really care about a pitcher win. I mean, that's a crap stat. But consider this. A pitcher can come in to pitch the 10th inning, throw one pitch, give up a single, and be charged with a loss. It's a fundamentally different paradigm for what we know is baseball. And and here's the real question, Scotty. The last one was just rhetorical and stupid. Um, what does this do to the more elegant stats? I mean, does the presence of that second baseman change anything? Uh, you know, like, for example, is the WPA altered for that moment and therefore a, a players, uh, you know, that are constantly in extra innings? Hmm. These are all great things to consider, um, but it's just about the minors, and we don't have to deal with such stupid rules in the majors um, for quite some time, hopefully. Um, but it got us thinking, and of course, us thinking is a dangerous pastime. If the this Ori- is why there need to be games yes. to watch. <laughs> if the Orioles play like a minor league team for the next few seasons, perhaps the Orioles ought to play with some modified house rules within Oriole Park at Camden Yards, both during extra inning game, both during extra inning games, but also during regulation. So, Jake. 
Let's go through a few rule changes we would make for the Baltimore Orioles going forward. All right. This is what I think would be great. This would really ramp up the excitement of Oriole games. I think the Orioles at home at Camden Yards should start the bottom of the first inning with a ghost runner on third base. Here's the thing, Scott. The likelihood of that of that runner at third base scoring, infinitesimally low. I don't think it really affects the game much, but it is an exciting aspect. It is an ex- exciting aspect. Um, all right. One change that I would make is that um, we have a situation where at a certain point in the game, uh, the windmill effect goes on. So you see this giant windmill appear on the board, and at that point for the entire rest of that inning— Third base coaches immediately have to send all runners. The runners have the go sign. Have the go sign at all points. So the runners can never stop. It basically is going to be like cricket, basically, <laughs> where the runners have to continue to run while the ball is in play. You said the magic word, Scott. Cricket. And this really all started when I when I tweeted something out in anger. I said, you know, why not just make the players, uh, you know, prohibit them from wearing gloves in the 10th inning? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We might be on to something yeah. here. In the, in extra innings, all fielders, except maybe the catcher, let's take some uh, pity on the catcher, no fielders are allowed to wear gloves in the extra innings. It would certainly shorten the game. Certainly. Uh, Jake, my next prediction would be that um, maybe we get to a situation where we just say, you know what, our pitchers are doing so poorly that instead of going out there and trotting out to have these games, why don't we instead we just shorten the games and basically say for the next two hours – we're going to have a home run derby competition, and whoever has the most amount of home runs at the end of the two hours wins the ball game. I like that. I like that. Scott, let me ask you, what are these What are these rules for? You know, I, I said from the outset, it seems like we're trying to shorten games from three hours to two hours and 45 minutes. Is this, game, is this rule change set to shorten games, or is it to try to stop events like a 19-inning game? I think it's to prevent a 19-inning game. How often does that crap happen? And let me ask you this. Mother's Day 2012. Isn't that like one of the most beautiful things about Major League Baseball? It happens so rarely, but when it does, it's awesome. Think about it. This rule right here would have avoided us seeing Chris Davis strike out Major League hitters. Yep. This would have completely eradicated the game, the 18-inning game in Seattle, in 2012, I think it was, when the Orioles went out and had a ridiculous game and won. Yep. I, I'm i an idiot. I stayed up for that game. It was a West Coast game already, and it was five hours, lo- five hours long. Yep, you were an idiot. <laughs> I was an idiot. I think that this strips out something unique to baseball, all in the attempt to, what, not get guys hurt? And it's not even just get the aspect of getting hurt. It's It's the aspect of trying to finalize the game. I mean... And it's a ridiculous notion of the fans that are actually going to watch this game going forward are going to be there if they want to, or otherwise they're just going to turn off. And honestly, if they're turning off the game after watching it for three and a half hours, you've already made your bang for your buck in terms of advertising dollar. So really, what's the big deal here? As you pointed out, the only thing you're really saving is bullpen arms from having to basically go up and down through the roster manipulation. So yeah, it doesn't really make any sense is the best way to describe it. Um, doesn't seem that that could be solved by like, Hey, if your team plays a 15 plus inning game, you can, you know, go with 26 guys the next day sure. or, you know, we already do that with the double header aspect sure. where you say, Hey, you can have an extra phantom 26 guy in order to get by. I mean, you would think that a similar rule could be put in effect and saying, Hey, 
if you are coming off at both teams can get one additional player from their minors to basically support them for the upcoming game. And we don't admit enough our own biases. I mean, that's just a cultural problem, right? Uh, no, 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 that's not the case whatsoever <laughs> in this current culture. Here's Craig Calcaterra, who, uh, you know, makes a lot of trouble on Twitter, actually said something that I think is interesting. He said, the world is less ag- aggravating when you accept that 75 to 90 percent of all opinions on everything are informed by base tribalism, including your own. So let me just say, this is my own base tribalism. I'm not your average fan, right? I spend my Monday nights talking into a microphone about a team that has hurt my feelings more time than I can count. Like, clearly there's something wrong with me, Right. And I understand that I am not really the prime target for Major League Baseball. They've already got my money. They have to go work on getting other people's money. But they're not going to get a bunch of casual fans based on stupid changes like this. Sure. And I think the big thing is, you know, if this is just a change that is being made in the minors, I'm okay with making a change. What I'm not okay with is putting a runner at second base. I'd rather do this. I'd rather say, if you get to nine innings— we either are going to end in a tie or we're going to go to a 10th inning. And if it doesn't end that point, we're going to end in a tie because like last year's uh, spring training. Yeah. I mean, he, my point of the matter is I've been to spring training. I mean, I've been to minor league games many a times. I've probably been to over a hundred minor league games in my life and I've been to several extra inning games. And in reality, there is no significant interest for an extra innings minor league baseball game. The players want to get it over with. The fans want to get it over with because oftentimes, you know, there's some end activity end of it. And I've been at extra inning major minor league games mainly for like a fireworks presentation or like mm-hmm. an autograph signing for the players and something like that. Um, so I, I do think there has to be some caveat here of what do the fans that are going to be in a family atmosphere such as a minor league baseball game going to want to have? And I'm okay with the aspect of offering different alternatives. The player at second base doesn't really make sense for me. But I think the question is, Jake, are, would you be okay with a tie in baseball? Well, I mean, I think your point about the distinction between the minors and the majors is a big one. Uh, clearly, yeah, one's $10,000 per year, <laughs> and the other one is, you know, half a million dollars per year. The minors are either a ground where they test out rule changes to see if they work with the majors, which is what I'm terrified of, or they're simply a developmental league, and they don't want to bust up, you know, the kids. Sure. Right? Um. I'd be fine with ties in minor league baseball. I'm a tie in major league baseball does nothing for me. No, a tie in major league baseball does nothing for me. I'm just asking, would we be okay with a tie in minor league baseball? Yeah. And I can see that because, you know, if you've got a, you know, a single a game, you don't want to blow out your bullpen. You know, these are, these are kids that are developing. Right. These are, these are, you know, again, assets that you're trying to build. What's the big deal that if there's a tie, right. I mean, if that happens, it's like, okay, that just means it might make it a little bit more confusing at the end when we figure out playoff seating. But in reality, it doesn't really matter. Right. Like, can you remember who was in the International League playoffs last year? Yeah. I certainly can't. And I know, you know, Frederick and the other towns might be excited about a Carolina League, you know, trophy, but I don't care. Yeah, I don't, I don't really care. Um, I would certainly advocate for the aspect of just going to a tie after nine or ten innings and just saying that's what it is. Everyone, you've seen your baseball, and if you want to do something crazy as a minor league promotion because you guys do such a great job out there with minor league promotions, be like, hey, if the game ends in a tie, you can come back for a future game for free or something like that, basically. Yeah. Um, But again, I think Major League Baseball is doing this very poorly, which does not surprise me because Major League Baseball oftentimes does new rule implementation very poorly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scotty, I've actually got one this week. Is it all right if I blow the safe? Absolutely. 
Scott, it was a year ago. It was a year ago that Adam Jones went from simply being the captain to being Captain America. That's right. Of course, I am referring to the World Baseball Classic. The fact that I'm talking about it a year later is kind of a nice thing for the uh, World Baseball Classic. Maybe it is not as pointless as we all thought at one time. I'm talking, of course, about the catch. The catch that Adam Jones made in center field to rob a home run from the Dominican... Oh, oh, wait, was... Oh, it was teammate Manny Machado who tipped his cap and moved on. Look, we talk all the time about Adam Jones, you know, maybe not being the best defensive uh, center fielder. It was a great play. It was exciting for all the marbles. It was a moment where we were all proud to have that guy playing on the Baltimore Orioles. That guy who not only was representing the Orioles, but also the Stars and Stripes. It was excitement that you could just bottle and carry with you. Something that I I hope that I look back on when Adam Jones' career is said and done. That was a special moment. And as I indicated in the prediction part of the show, I want to make sure I do a really good job of enjoying that which Adam Jones does well. Because remember, he is the Cap 10. I'll even come back and point out this. I think that'll be a, a moment that you just won't remember about Adam Jones, but I think that'll be a moment you to remember about the Orioles during this period going forward. I think we can remember uh, situations such as like Ripken during All-Star games, and Ripken played for some absolutely horrible teams, but you can remember Ripken going into 91 into Sky Dome and hitting, you know, winning the home run derby, hitting a home run there. Um, you know, his, you know, his last season, hitting a home run in the All-Star game. It's those brief play moments that you'll remember and say, that's something that I can visualize in my head happening. And it's those plays that really ingrain yourself. And even though he wasn't playing for the Baltimore Orioles, he still was a member of Berlin and representing the Baltimore Orioles for Team USA. I think that's a moment that we'll remember for probably the rest of our lives um, as Baltimore Orioles fans. Well said, my friend. And that... That is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. We love meeting new people and talking Orioles baseball with other diehard fans. Email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, spring training is almost over. Oof. Hang in there. Oof. I will bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. You know, I don't really feel like spring training's been that long this year. Not as bad as other seasons. Eh, I'm ready. I'm ready too, but I'm itching for it. That's not what that itch is. That's true. Probably came from a tie. Or a runner on second. A ghost runner. A ghost runner on second. still here it's over
Go home. Go.